All right, this podcast recorded live from the road is brought to you by my friends over at JM Bullion. JM Bullion is my exclusive gold and silver provider. I love these guys. They've been in business for over a decade. They've done nearly $3 billion in sales. And if you email the lovely Laura, L-A-U-R-A at jmbullion.com, she would be happy to help you out. Uh, Tell her you're a QTR listener, give you a good deal, take care of you, and make sure that uh, you get all your questions answered. You know, JM Bullion always has a wonderful inventory in stock. Their premiums to spot are always reasonable. I love these guys. So I want to shout out my friends over at JM Bullion. Check them out. This podcast also brought to you by my friends over at Rebel Capitalist Pro, where George Gammon has teamed up with Lynn Alden, Chris McIntosh, and Brent Johnson to help you figure out what the hell is going on in a world of -of out-of-control central banks. Rebel Capitalist Pro is a wonderful tool. Some great uh, information on there, some forums. I like to look at the model portfolios. Specifically, I follow Lynn Alden's model portfolios. Um, And, you know, Rebel Capitalist is just a great resource for people that are trying to navigate really what is uncharted waters here when it comes to the world of central banking. You've been reading all of these uh, things over the last couple of months about how, you know, we're on the verge of a monetary new world order. I think that is 100% the truth. And Rebel Capitalist Pro, George Gammon, great resource to help wrap your head around things. This podcast also brought to you by my dear friends over at the Sanglucci Steam Room. Sanglucci and Wall Street Jesus have come together, well, they did 10 years ago, to start bringing you, uh, what are the, well, not start, well, whatever. 10 years ago, they started bringing you the Steam Room. The point is, the Steam Room is a wonderful piece of software that helps you track unusual options activity. These guys have been doing it for longer than anybody else in this space, at least that I know of. They are the original gangsters of tracking options activity. They know what they're doing. Sang Lucci and Wall Street Jesus would be happy to let you try the Steam Room, which is a beautiful community and a wonderful piece of software. They are experts in tape reading, uh, market psychology, just tracking flow in the markets. And the Steam Room uh, is a wonderful resource that can help you uh, along your journey as a trader. So check out the Sanglucci Steam Room. This podcast finally brought to you by my friends over at Doomberg. Doomberg is one of my favorite sub stacks to read. They look at the world of finance through an Austrian lens. They look at the world of finance through a skeptical lens. They're experts in things like commodities and energy um, with a little bit of snark thrown in. I love reading Doomberg. So if you have a chance, check out Doomberg at, uh, over at Substack. And uh, give them a play. Give them a read. Because uh, uh, I like reading them. Wonderful little collective of individuals over there. All right. So what is the purpose of today's podcast? Also, I want to say real quick, if you want to try any of those services, just shout them out. Email laura at jmbullion.com. Uh, shout out George Gammon. Uh, contact him. Contact Sang Lucci or Wall Street Jesus. Uh, or contact Doomberg and let them know that QTR sent you. And uh, I've uh, talked to those guys, and they said pretty much if you want to give it a try, they'd be happy to let you give it a try. Tell them QTR said no credit card, no bullshit, no nonsense. You want to try their shit out. Uh, But head on over and talk to those guys. They're all friends of mine. All right, now, what is the purpose of today's podcast? Pretty simple. I am here to eulogize the corpse of the United States economy and the markets. So, dear brothers and sisters, we are gathered here today uh, as Joe Biden falls off of a bicycle and at the same time decides to napalm the economy. Uh, Actually, it's really the Fed napalming the economy, to be honest with you. But uh, let's start with Alex Mashinsky in Celsius, which is a topic that I talked about a little bit last week on my Uh, Twitter Spaces call that I did with Peter Schiff, but haven't really opined on a lot. So we'll do that here. Uh, In last November, and many of you that follow me on Twitter, this is going to be a rehash probably of a lot of shit that I've said over the last week or two. Um, So apologies if you're listening to it again, but yeah, well, I don't really care. I say whatever I want and that's that. That's a nice thing. You know, my sponsors are all my friends and they know that I'm just going to do whatever I want. And so it works out good. Uh, 
actually, I was talking to, uh, I, I don't really want to mention his name, but I was talking to a well-known podcaster, uh, a couple of months ago and he was lamenting how his sponsors were requiring him to put out, I guess he signed a deal with, uh, one of the major, uh, podcasting firms. I'm trying not to give away his identity. But the point is, he was lamenting his uh, requirements by his sponsors. And my sponsors are so cool. They just leave me alone, try to get three or four things out a month for them. They know I'm busy. They know I don't like to talk unless I have something to say. So I just want to thank them again. More the reason that you should show them some love because uh, they make it all possible. Okay, honestly, done kissing their ass now. Let's talk about Alex Mashinsky and Celsius, okay? So the dominoes continue to fall here in the world of crypto. Alex Mashinsky did this debate back in November 2021 on Kitco with Peter Schiff that I wrote about on my blog. And the title back then, and you got to remember, when you're talking about this in November of 2021 and you're writing about this in November 2021, you're at peak Bitcoin hype. Okay, the price of Bitcoin was probably between 50 and 60,000, and anytime I wrote something criticizing anything involving crypto, even in this case where, you know, no matter what happens to the price of Bitcoin, Alex Mashinsky deserved criticism for the statements that he made in November 2021. But even then, even though he deserved it, my feed was replete with all these crypto bros who chime in, you know, have fun staying poor, Cope the Raven, one of them said. I was looking back through the responses today, which actually is pretty fucking funny. You know, Cope the Raven. Um, (laughs) So I'm all right with that. And you guys are entitled to uh, criticize me, certainly. I hope that you do. But I just want to set the stage for people and remind them when you're in peak hysteria, you know, when the price action is going bananas... It gets people whipped up into a euphoric frenzy. And when people get whipped up into a euphoric frenzy, what happens? You get people like that guy that interrupted the conference wearing the Dogecoin shirt, you know, that jumped on stage and said, Doge to the moon, you know? And you get things like, you know, Max Kaiser walking on stage saying, I got fuck you money and fuck this and fuck that and just acting like a jackass. Although not not quite that far from my last conference appearance, to be honest with you. <laughs> now that I think about it, Max, maybe we should compare conference presentation notes. But uh, but no, you get people just generally acting like fucking jackasses because they feel emboldened by the price action. And really good investors and generally adults, you know, will tell you that when something goes their way, it's more a time to even be cautious Because as one of my dear friends said to me a couple months ago, you know, when you're at the top, somebody's always looking to take you down. And when you're making money, there's always a, there's always another wave coming. There's always another wave of luck coming that will, uh, that will try to take that money from you. You know, nobody stays on a hot streak forever. Even the best managers in the world, nobody crushes it forever. Nobody has the fucking holy grail of investing where they're just going to make these insane annualized returns all the time. And, uh, you know, look, ARK is another great example, all right? ARK went from 30 to 130, and the financial media was happy to praise Kathy Wood as the second coming of Jesus Christ, despite the fact that she didn't seem to understand the difference between a can of tennis balls and a can of Pringles because they both come in a similarly shaped package, But regardless, she was hailed as a visionary who was able to spot a new class of stocks that you guys wouldn't understand because they're too complicated. They're called innovation stocks. And only she can see them. You know, it's like the psychiatrist. uh, Are these innovation stocks in the room with you now? (laughs) But regardless, Kathy Wood was hailed as this great investing genius. And so all of these Bitcoiners were also hailed as uh, incredible visionaries. And look, the Bitcoin story isn't over yet. Maybe Bitcoin does eventually retake its highs and, you know, it has lasting uh, use as a currency or whatever the argument is as a network. And, you know, maybe it makes its way back up to where it was. 
I don't know, but for right now, it doesn't really matter because there's serious pain being endured by individuals who speculated too much. As if as if Bitcoin wasn't a speculation in and of itself, people were speculating on whether or not you should, you know, you could lend your Bitcoin. Uh, you know, Celsius was trying to pay a yield on Bitcoin. And so back in November 2021, when uh, CEO Alex Mashinsky did the debate with Peter Schiff, one of the things that caught my attention and prompted me to write an article about the debate was the fact that Mashinsky was making some very bombastic and also totally, completely nonsensical uh, statements. And I was alarmed not only because the statements themselves were bullshit, but I think more importantly, I was alarmed because the statements could entice people that don't have the investing acumen necessary to understand why they're nonsense. So, you know, if Alex Mashinsky says that, you know, Bitcoin intrinsically pays a yield to somebody like Peter Schiff, well, he knows immediately that it doesn't and knows immediately that the cash uh, being doled out as the yield for Bitcoin needs to come from somewhere else. However, unsophisticated investors, many of whom have drifted into the crypto space over the last, you know, couple of years, five years probably, uh, many of those people don't understand it. And so they, they see something like Celsius and they say, okay, well, they're borrowing, they're lending, you know, crypto's going in, crypto's going out, and somehow they're, they're able to pay a 17% yield on my crypto. And they don't really want to know how the sausage is made, nor do they have the wherewithal to understand the complexities of, you know, banking and, and interest and, you know, where those payments would need to come from to, to justify those interest rates. So I don't blame those people, but I do blame Alex Mashinsky because he should fucking know better. Okay. He should know better. So to go on Kitco in November of 2021 and make statements like gold has no value and Bitcoin pays a yield and gold pays a yield on Celsius were just nonsense. And if you look at the clip that I posted on my Twitter yesterday, you know, Peter Schiff called him out specifically on this. He said, you need to be taking inordinate risks in order to be able to pay those yields. You have to fund those yield payments from somewhere. And, you know, what was probably happening, and by the way, he warned about it. You know, he was trying to tell people that there was inherent risk. So anybody that listened to Peter Schiff was hopefully able to divert some of their money out of Celsius and uh, and isn't one of the people that's sitting around now, unfortunately, wondering where all their fucking cash has gone. And I've seen these disaster stories, people losing 20,000, people losing 100,000, you know, all their net worth invested in Celsius. And now what's going on? They're going to file for bankruptcy. You're going to have to deal with receivership. It's going to be a huge clusterfuck. All right. It's just like, it's going to be a major problem. And so um, solvency uh, was always in question, given what appeared to be an obviously risky business model. The way they were probably paying it is they were probably paying it on you know, new money that was coming in and then they were engaging in trading or some type of lending or trying to uh, rope in investors and use some of that capital to pay it out. But at least, you know, up until the last couple of weeks, it seemed like the charge was to try to get more money in. They were trying to lure people in. They were trying to entice people with high rates. And they've been doing that right up to the point where they canceled all withdrawals. I mean, if you look at Alex Mashinsky's Twitter account, you see just a couple days before they suspended withdrawals, he was on there talking shit to somebody and saying to them, hey, have you ever heard of anybody that wasn't able to withdraw their money? It's like, yeah, fucking everybody now. So how about that? You know, but I guess, I guess, you know, it's somewhat of a psychological phenomenon in these cases because you try to keep people to run, prevent people from running to the exits uh, because that only exacerbates things. But now the statements that they made and what they knew and when they knew it is going to be carefully scrutinized, uh, hopefully by regulators, because uh, 
you know, there was crypto being moved around and the company may have knew it was in trouble before it let on and uh, who knows, but it certainly doesn't look like anybody is interested in bankrolling them and bailing them out. And so for Alex Mashinsky to go on that debate in November of 2021 and say those things, uh, he should be ashamed of himself. Seriously, I think it's I think it's absolutely reprehensible. And, you know, that is what propelled me to write my piece about it, because the statements were so glaringly uh, illogical and so worrisome. They really were worrisome. And some of the things that he said and Michael Saylor have said about borrowing against your house to buy Bitcoin, sell everything you own and buy Bitcoin. It's like, motherfuckers, this is not a game. Like, this is people's livelihoods, right? And people don't understand necessarily that you are luring them into a speculative asset class. And then in the case of something like Celsius, you know, there's speculation on top of that because, you know, they're an entity that's fucking around with your crypto once you give them your money. And so for these motherfuckers to come out and say, oh, unbank yourself and to act as though they're doing some great service by providing what they're providing so that you can stay out of traditional banks. It's like, how about this shit? I just read last week, Celsius is engaging Citigroup to help with their reorganization. So the company that spent its time telling you to unbank yourself has gone crawling back to Citigroup for help restructuring itself now that it's become insolvent. So the guys that were telling you fuck the big banks, well, they've gone crawling back to the big banks because they've made a mess that they can't get out of. So what does that tell you? What does that tell you? So I think everything that this guy said should be scrutinized very carefully. I don't think this company should ever be allowed to do business again. I don't think Alex Mashinsky should be allowed to run any type of company like this in the future. I think anybody that invests with somebody like him in any future projects from this point going forward, um, you know, my friend Nate Anderson wrote on Twitter today, history sometimes rhymes, and he put up a screenshot of Michael Saylor's SEC settlement from 2020. Apparently he had a a fraud allegation that he was charged with, uh, not 2020, from early, uh, in the early 2000s. And he said something like, history often rhymes. So if Mashinsky starts a new project after this, I would be very wary of it, obviously. And in the case of Michael Saylor, it's like, okay, you know, can a leopard uh, change its spots or whatever? And, And, you know, as I said before on other podcasts, it's fine to believe in Bitcoin and it's fine to believe in Ethereum. It's fine to take on a loan when the bank will give it to you. And it is fine to put your entire company's balance sheet into Bitcoin. I mean, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. As long as you're disclosing it properly, then investors can make the decisions necessary to say, hey, I want you know this type of pornographic exposure to Bitcoin or I don't. And uh, But as long as you're following the rules by doing that, I mean, personally, I don't think it's a good idea, but whatever, Sailor's well within his rights to do that. What chaps my ass is getting on these podcasts and going out and telling people to fucking mortgage their homes to buy Bitcoin. That is irresponsible. And you know what? Michael Saylor and Alex Mashinsky are going to be fine. They're millionaires, billionaires, whatever, many times over. And they're going to be fine. They're going to come out of this with more money than you have. And they went into it with more money than you have. They're going to be okay. But there are a lot of real motherfuckers out there with, you know, that put their $200,000 life savings into Bitcoin at 60000 that are now staring at 65% losses, wondering, what do I do? And that's a serious situation. You know, when I used to work at Geo Investing, my boss, uh, Dan David, said to me once uh, about, you know, I used to ask him uh, when I first got started in the world of short selling, do you ever get worried that, you know, somebody's going to come after you for kind of blowing up, you know, a fraud Uh, but maybe one that they inadvertently had money in. And he said to me, you know, I don't worry about the guy that has a million dollars invested in a company. I worry about the guy that has $500 invested in it, and that's his life savings. And the point rings especially true for Bitcoin here, because there are a lot of people 
that don't have a lot of money comparative to Sailor and comparative to Mashinsky, but it's all they've fucking got. And they are getting their dicks punched in right now with Bitcoin at 18,000. And so whether Bitcoin comes back in the long term, and maybe it will, you know, maybe Bitcoin does survive as a protocol and, you know, maybe Bitcoin does make its way forward. But to say those types of things with Bitcoin at all time highs, to keep pressing and pressing and pressing is exceptionally irresponsible. And I don't think should be overlooked at all. I think it should be scrutinized carefully. And I think that these people should be called out for it. Now, Peter Schiff made a very good point on his most recent podcast. One entity that is not calling people out is CNBC. Okay. And I guess, I guess that's part of their model. I've been watching Tom Lee and Marco Kolinovich uh, talk for the last six months, eight months about, you know, hey, you know, positive news right around the corner. This is a good opportunity to buy. Uh, there's a lot of good headlines here, blah, 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 blah. And all the while, the equity market just keeps getting pummeled. And so at some point, you would think that they would want to hold people accountable. You know, how many times did Novogratz go on there and tout Luna and tout Terra and tout crypto, you know, and they bring these people back on. They bring on Tom Lee. By the way, Scott Wapner on Friday or somebody was like, oh, our headline guest today, we're, we're bringing our keynote guest on, Tom Lee. I'm like, your fucking keynote guest, he's on the goddamn network every fucking day. How can he be the keynote desk? He's practically an anchor. Although, I don't think he's, you know, his investing acumen is good enough to be an anchor. I think some of the anchors, I'd put my money on Carl Quintanilla or you know, Guy Adami over uh, Tom Lee any day. But they welcome him back on on Friday and they roll out the fucking red carpet for him. You know, and what does he do? He comes on and it's the same old song and dance. When are these people going to be held accountable is what I want to know, okay? Because this whole time, and again, if Bitcoin makes it for the long haul, great. And if you're, if you're holding and you're down and you make your money back, I'm happy for you. But the point cannot be understated that you are investing in a burgeoning, brand new, extremely speculative asset that on the surface doesn't appear to provide any product or service to me. So that makes me extraordinarily skeptical of it, right? It doesn't generate cash flow, despite what Alex Brzezinski says, it doesn't generate a yield, right? Gold at least has the 5,000 year track record at least has been used as money, you know, for many, many, many millennia. Bitcoin is a completely different product. It's not a commodity. It's completely digital. And so to come out with the certainty that this is what's going to blaze the trail going forward, no doubt about it, and all the memes and stuff of, you know, hey, when Bitcoin's at a million, Peter Schiff will still be putting his $1,700 target on gold, you know? Okay, maybe you're right. But if you're not, you're going to look extremely foolish. And right now, you know, look, what could be happening now could just be a lot of malinvestment in the crypto space that needs to come out. I said on Palisades Gold Radio two weeks ago that I need to see serious malinvestment get dragged out of the back door and shot in the world of crypto. And I specifically mentioned Mashinsky and Sailor. And it was like three days later that Celsius fucking blew up, okay? Because you just knew that that was unsustainable. And when the price of Bitcoin craters, the dominoes keep falling. And when the dominoes keep falling, people's leverage has to be dealt with. And when leverage has to be tended to, crypto gets liquidated. And when crypto gets liquidated, the price continues to move lower. And you have this self-fulfilling circle of just torture and famine and plague and pestilence in the crypto world that uh that is very necessary you know even if bitcoin survives in the long term you gotta get guys like alex mashinsky out of the fucking industry oh my god i mean if i was a true bitcoin maxi right i would want to approach crypto with a sense of humility with a sense of humbleness with a sense of, you know, honest and open discussion, like the guy that was on my Twitter spaces with Peter Schiff uh, last week, nice kid, did a good job, was respectful, 
listened and muted his mic when the other person was talking. That's the type of, you know, nuanced dialogue that people in the crypto space should be seeking out. But when you are running on stage, interrupting a conference with a, you know, shirt with fucking Shiba Inu on it and dancing around like an idiot or coming out and just acting like a crazy fool, you know, that gives off a different image. And it's, I don't know, you know, the best investors that I know, the the very, very best investors that I know, they're humble. They would never do something like that. And so I find it worrisome, you know, speculative asset to begin with, red flag. Doesn't provide a product or service, red flag. Huge drain on energy consumption, red flag. Burgeoning, nobody knows where it's going to wind up. We're just five, six, seven years uh, into Bitcoin prominence, uh, red flag. What will happen in the age of quantum computing, red flag. Can, you know, digital assets even be trusted? You know, right now, they're just toying with the idea of central bank digital currencies, and none of those have really been implemented uh, completely. And those are the ones that are backed by the government and backed by, you know, the government's military and backed by the fact that, they, you know, the tax receipts need to be paid in that currency. You know, with Bitcoin, a lot of the hope and a lot of the bull case boils down to a lot of what I think will make it unattractive for Bitcoin to become a, a, a reserve currency unattractive for the government to embrace Bitcoin. The fact that it's out of the system, the fact that it enables illegal conduct, the fact that, you know, it, uh, um, the fact that it, um, people, in other words, think that it will replace the dollar. It'll become the standard, you know, it won't replace the dollar, but the dollar will be pegged to it. Um, and you know, it's just like, why would, why would they do that when gold is available? And so, um, you know, all of the things, that you, you know, challenging the dollar. Man, the government's not going to like that, you know. And look, I subscribe to a lot of these arguments because I'm a libertarian, right? I'm not a fan of the Federal Reserve. I'm not a fan of fiat currency. And I get a lot of the arguments that Bitcoin proponents make. And I've said this a lot of times. I don't really, like, blame Bitcoin people for being pissed off because I think they're pissed off about the right things. I just don't know that Bitcoin is the solution. If all things were equal and the government didn't have a role and the Fed didn't have a role, could Bitcoin be the utopia, you know, that everybody makes it out to be? I don't know. Maybe. But it's a question of, you know, what what I, uh, you know, idealize and what I would, you know, like to see in a dream world versus what is possible here in reality. And what's possible here in reality, uh, I think it's far less likely that Bitcoin becomes this big pillar of adoption uh, than most people think, I think. Uh, so I think there needs to be a little bit of a reality check there. And certainly more dominoes, I think, are going to fall in the world of crypto. I wrote about this last week on my blog. I wrote that, you know, I think Celsius is going to continue to put pressure on Tether. I think, you know... A lot of questions were being asked about Tether before this blow up. Now people are going to want those answers even more. They're going to want to know what's backing this. You know, they're going to be watching those redemptions carefully. And like I said, this becomes like a feedback loop, right? People are more inclined and more susceptible to selling their Bitcoin, their Tether, whatever, just getting out of their crypto uh, than they normally would be due to the fact that there's all this, you know, crazy volatility in the space. So what does that mean? Does it mean we have a capitulation moment and Bitcoin, you know, crashes, but then winds up becoming a 10 bagger over the next five years? Maybe. Does it mean that the entire Bitcoin charade may be over? Maybe. I don't know. All I know is Alex Mashinsky pissed me off in November, 2021, when he said that shit in that interview. And people should fucking know better. And you know what? People give Peter Schiff a lot of shit and they fucking you know, call him a broken clock that's only right twice a day and all this other horse shit. But the point is, you know, he is a good, you know, uh, what, what did the guy call him on the uh, spaces the other day? Called him like a good, you know, good at measuring risk or good at being risk averse. Uh, and so I think that's why he's worth a listen to. You know, yes, he's a sound money guy. He's a conservative guy. He's an Austrian guy. He's a libertarian. But he's also, you know, 
very wealthy. And you don't get to be very wealthy by being a fucking dumbass. So we'll have to see. What I'm going to be interested in is how much did Alex Mashinsky personally profit off of Celsius? Where did the money go and when? One of the cool things about everything being on the ledger and Bitcoin maxis, I can hear them already. Oh, you love it. You love it. No, but I'm just saying one of the cool things about the ledger is watching when these fucks start moving around, you know, their Celsius coin or their Bitcoin or their Ethereum. Hey, $300 million and Bitcoin just went from here to here. You know, what's this wallet? What's that wallet? That shit's interesting. Uh, I think it's a tangled web that regulators are going to have to make their way through, but I hope they do it. And uh, I think Alex Mashinsky should be fucking ashamed of himself. And uh, by the way, I still want Papiano to come on and, and talk with me. It's not going to be crazy. I don't know what he thinks. If he thinks he's going to be like some, you know, I just want to talk to him. I just want to have a discussion, you know. And he, he agreed to come on a couple of months ago, and now I haven't heard from him. Uh, I DM'd him again the other day, and I tweeted him, but I never heard back from him. So, Pompliano, you are welcome to come on anytime just to have a normal, civil discussion. Won't be anything crazy. Won't be any uh, ridicule or anything like that. Um, just as I know, if Bitcoin was at 100000 you wouldn't be on to ridicule me. I think we could have an honest, civil discussion and just talk about shit. And so I'd love to have you on. Uh, anyways, let's talk about the 75 basis point rate hike. One of the other things that I wrote about on my blog this week, um, what it means on Wednesday, the Fed came out and consummated the 75 basis point rate hike that they so, you know, deft, uh, deftly uh, telegraphed to the Wall Street Journal just a day prior. I could see it now, you know, somebody on the phone with Wall Street Journal reporter, make sure you fucking print 75 motherfucker we're going for it you know in a nice measured phone call like that um but yeah no somehow it leaked to the wall street journal and the journal uh printed that i think tuesday and so wednesday nobody was surprised when it was a 75 basis point hike and of course wednesday stocks rallied because i guess people are under the assumption that the fed is posturing up now so jerome powell has tightened up his belt and he has you know he has put his fucking shit kicking boots on and he's ready to kick inflation's ass we're going for 75 and the fed is serious and so there was a rally on wednesday as there is when when the fed does what the market expects so that's a reason to rally you know the market doesn't need a reason to rally the market is pretty much you know swimming downstream with with going green all the time thanks to the fed to begin with real rates are still you know negative a trillion percent or whatever so the market fucking rallies on Wednesday, but what I write on my blog is that, hey, the reality of the situation is, while it's nice that Powell is posturing up and blah, 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 and even say inflation starts to cool off a little bit, you know, if we get a, if we get a 10 basis point tick down in inflation, you know what's going to happen. The Dow's going to rally like a thousand points in a day, but I think those moves, just as the sell-off on Wednesday will be mistakes. And I think there'll be mistakes because people are not looking at what the economic effects of these rate hikes are going to be down the road. So right now we have all this dog shit macroeconomic data that has come out, right? The Atlanta Fed has revised their Q2 GDP estimate to now be, I think, at zero or slightly negative even, which of course obviously points to a recession. Uh, we had terrible uh, consumer uh confidence numbers out last week the michigan fucking survey came out was like a record low housing starts have gotten absolutely crushed so the macro data has just been absolute dog shit over the last month and you got to remember a lot of that macro data there's a delay you're looking at you know the month prior or it's reacting to rate hikes that happened a month or two prior so when this 75 basis point hike starts to create the aftershocks in the credit market that it that it will you know everything that's adjustable rate is going to wind up going up which is going to put the screws to the american consumer uh you know much harder than it has been and even peter schiff said you know powell said during his press conference a couple days ago that oh he didn't think he didn't see any signs that the consumer was like uh was you know deteriorating and it's like, you know, and Schiff says on his podcast, you know, the whole point of raising rates 
is to slow the consumer down to try to stop inflation. So it's like, you know, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. I think he's just making up shit. I think he's just trying to bullshit his way through these press conferences. But the reality is, and you can talk and crow and Tom Lee your way through the discussion and Mike Novogratz and Kathy Wood your way through the discussion as much as you would like. And you can Steve Leisman the fucking Fed numbers as much as you would like. But the fact of the matter is rates have gone up, you know, 75 basis points. And that is going to cause serious shockwaves in the credit markets, okay? And everybody says, well, that's when we're going to get the Fed put, when the credit markets start to crack up. Well, fucking strap in because it's going to happen. And if it doesn't happen now, it's going to happen on the next hike. But we haven't seen anything yet. This is why I thought the rally on Wednesday was so misguided. Because the 75 basis point hike isn't going to hit the macroeconomic data for another month or two. Or three, maybe. And by then, we'll be raising again. And, uh, and so this goes to the adage that the Fed is behind the curve. Again, they're always late. And they're always doing either too much or too little. You know, you have to anticipate. You have to skate to where the puck is going, not to where the puck is. And the Fed is incapable of doing that. The Fed is capable of skating where the puck was a month ago at full speed, then not realizing the puck isn't there, then plowing into the boards and knocking themselves unconscious every time they try to make a move. So if the Fed was a hockey player, that's... You know what? If the Fed was a hockey player, it would be Sammy Kapanen when he got fucking laid out by Darcy Tucker and he couldn't find his way back over to the bench... I think it was during the the playoffs. I think it was the Leafs and the Flyers. And, uh, man, Darcy Tucker fucking leveled Sammy Kapanen. And then Kapanen tries to get up off the ice, and he doesn't even know which way is up. His legs are buckling from underneath him. He starts skating around in circles and shit. And then finally his teammates, they had to put their their sticks over the boards to kind of direct him in the right direction. That's the Fed. The Fed is Sammy Kapanen trying to find its way back to the bench right now, all right? Jerome Powell is Sammy Kapanen. There's something I bet you thought you would never hear today in my economic analysis. Regardless, the Fed is always late. And so, and I think too, people don't understand that. And people are thinking that the worst may be over. Hey, if this brings inflation down, we're, you know, we're in a good place. Look, if it brings inflation down 1%, inflation will be 7.5%. Rates will be at 1.5%, which means that real rates are still going to be at negative 6%. That is not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it over the long term. It's not going to uh, encourage people to save. Certainly, you know, real rates need to get close to positive. These guys wouldn't know the neutral rate if it flew down in a fucking spaceship and uh, landed on their fucking heads. I mean, they're talking about the neutral rate. They're just guessing. What's the neutral rate? I don't know. Maybe two, maybe four, maybe six. Maybe they should use the time-honored tactic of taking uh, all of the numbers, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and zero, uh, writing them down in huge magic marker on like a twister mat and covering the twister mat uh, evenly with chicken feed and releasing a flock of live chickens onto it and the first number that a fucking chicken lays an egg on, uh, that's the neutral rate. That's about the scientific complexity with which they are using to try to determine the neutral rate at this point. I mean, it doesn't really seem like they have a clue. Either way, look, negative 6% real rates, and you still got a fucking major problem. That's not going to have people save money. 6%, you know, negative 6% real rates isn't even close to where we need to be. So the idea that oh, we're moving in the right direction and we finally wrapped our hands around the problem and Powell understands the gravity of the situation. Hell no. Not only have we not solved the inflation problem, but I think things are about to get a lot worse in credit markets and they're about to get a lot worse from a macro standpoint. Spending is going to continue to slow. It's going to continue to pummel equities. Look, equities are still higher than they were pre-pandemic. What does that mean? And people say, look, well, we flooded the market with a lot of money since then. That's true. But you also have to remember that valuations prior to the March 2020 crash 
were absurd. And even in March 2020 when they crashed, I mean, people that were behind the curve and recognizing what the Fed's, you know, QE infinity were going to do were even saying, hey, valuations were still a little high at a point where um, the market was at its lows. The Ackman hell is coming week. People were still on CNBC. Well, we got to wait it out, you know. We're looking at valuations compared to historical means. And look, if you look at valuations on a historical basis, whether it's a Schiller PE basis or a market cap to GDP basis, however you want to do it, if you're looking at it on that type of basis, everything is still 40 to 50% too high. If you want a handicap for the fucking, you know, unlimited money that Neil Kaskari shot out of his asshole in March 2020, you know, we just printed. It's a... We, we essentially flood, we say, we essentially flood the economy with money. Yeah, don't worry, no consequences of that. What do you have in a black coffee in a cup? That'll be $19, thank you very much. Regardless, look, you can, you can, you can account for that, okay? And you can make the point that there is more liquidity now. And so maybe valuations don't need to come down that much. But you got, I mean, I have to feel like I would not be surprised if another 20 or 30%, you know, lower in equities happened. It, it's not completely insane. And I still continue to write that we haven't seen a limit down morning yet. And I still think we need that capitulation moment in equities. And I think we also still need a capitulation moment in crypto. I think maybe we're on the right path now. The dominoes are falling. The Mashinsky domino fell. Fucking smug ass motherfucker in November is like, talk to me again in a year, Peter. It's like, bitch, it's been eight months and your firm's fucking insolvent. Clang, have a nice day. Unbelievable, unbelievable hubris. And that was the title of my article. Another hubris-laden interview will, you know, eventually lead to a day of reckoning. And here we are. Eight months later, the motherfucker's firm went under. So, and man, I really hope the best for the people that trusted him and invested with him. I hope they get their shit back together. Anyways, so equities, I think, could have a similar capitulation moment. I think Bitcoin and crypto is on the verge of one. I think Sailor has to get carried out. It's just one of those things. You know, I talked about it on Palisades Gold Radio. When people know that you have a margin call at a certain price and an asset like this, I guarantee you there are motherfuckers out there with money just saying, man, we just got to, we got to give Sailor the max pain or we're waiting to buy until Sailor eventually gets carried out. They know there's that trigger there, that stop loss. And Sailor can say whatever he wants. Oh, we're good until 3000, whatever. Yeah. All right, buddy. You know, look, Bitcoin keeps falling. Your lenders are going to start asking a lot of fucking difficult questions. You're going to have to come up with collateral. And I like that. He's like, oh, well, we have another hundred thousand Bitcoin for collateral. It's like, bitch, when Bitcoin becomes worthless, it's not collateral anymore. You know, that's like me saying, oh, I'm surrounded by air. I can offer you as much air as you would like as collateral. It's like, yeah, uh, well, air is everywhere and it's not worth anything. So when that happens to Bitcoin, when there's an unlimited supply and it becomes worth dick, nobody's going to want it as collateral. So I think there are some people out there that know that Sailor has to get carried out. I feel like Mashinsky was a foregone conclusion, which is why I again brought it back up last week on Palisades Gold Radio, just days before the firm collapsed. And I think equities still need that oh shit moment too. And also another thing, you know, I've been writing for the last year on my blog about crypto potentially becoming systemic. And I don't think it's systemic to the banking system, but I think it's systemic enough to the point where it is really going to have a materially negative impact on markets. And you're seeing that. The idea that it's an inflation hedge, the idea that it's a hedge against the market crashing, all nonsense because it's been trading like a risk asset and it's been plunging as risk assets plunge and it's been coming back up when risk assets come back up. And what does that mean? That means it's speculative. That means that it is a risk asset. It is somewhere that people put money when they're willing to risk, when they're willing to take risk. And at a time when the market is getting assholed, nobody really wants to speculate like that. Nobody has that appetite for risk. And then you see Bitcoin start coming down. So we have ostensibly the highest inflation on record and Bitcoin is down like 65% from its highs. So you can take the inflation hedge thesis and you can fucking crumple it up and throw it out. 
I don't know what's going to happen. There's a halving coming up in however many days. There's this, there's that, you know, whatever. Maybe Bitcoin survives long term. Maybe it goes up and you guys play this shit back in three years from now and try to ridicule me. But it doesn't matter because I don't mind being ridiculed. And my point isn't really like I'm making a long term call to zero here. My point is that risk needs to be curbed. Speculation needs to be curbed. And these people were very irresponsible for making the claims that they made. So you got to, you know, this is a, a belt and suspenders business. You need to make sure that you are managing your risk prudently with Bitcoin and with equities. You know, with equities too, I feel like here's what happens. The more equities fall, the more people think that we're closer to a bottom. The more people that think we're closer to a bottom, the more capital they start to deploy, thinking they're going to try to catch the bottom. As equities continue to fall, they deploy more and more capital and more and more people think it's the bottom. And then when you get a point where there's a broad consensus that it's the bottom and everybody has deployed their reserve cash and then the market falls 10% from there, then you got a fucking problem. That means liquidations, margin calls, and, you know, surprising the shit out of everybody that thinks that they're going to call a bottom. That the market, oh, it couldn't fall another 20% from here. You know, I don't... I don't think AMC could ever go under $10. I don't think that GameStop could ever go under 100 Apple could never break the 150 That's the thing that happens, you know, what happened in March 2020. You saw prices on things that you just never conceived would happen. And that's what happens. You know, prices go to a point where everybody is basically in disbelief as to how low they get. And then sometimes they even go lower from there. That's what a crash looks like. That's what capitulation and a real healthy sell-off in stocks looks like. So I would be wary of anybody trying to call the bottom here because oftentimes what happens is they're just leading you into the next wave of uh, shit that is about to uh, crash upon you uh, when the market decides it wants to move lower. And there's no amount, you know, look, with the Fed not on your side, there's no amount of capital that you can invest that's going to put a floor under stocks or under crypto. There's plenty of supply out there, and there's plenty of big guns out there, and there's plenty of leverage still out there, plenty of leverage still in crypto, and uh, plenty of leverage still in equities. And so the lower these fuckers go, whether it's crypto, whether it's equities, the lower they go, the more you know, disposed to a potential uh, severe and sharp liquidation they become. The lower they go, the more people think that they can call the bottom, and the crazier the moves get. You know, it's like when you get the move that drops your jaw, and you're like, "Holy shit, that was crazy!" And as soon as you think that, then you get another twenty percent lower move from there. It's at the point when you think it can't happen the most that a you know, a crash in stocks will then really trigger the damage. And so if you look at a lot of what happened in 2008, you look at a chart of even 2000, you see these spots where, you know, right before a huge plunge, there were all these little miniature plunge. Stocks had pulled back 10, 20, 30% before they crashed. And every time they consolidated, which was probably over the course of a week or over the course of two weeks, I'm sure you had dickheads on the financial media. So the worst is finally over. We finally, I think we're finally at a spot now where we can consolidate. Then all of a sudden, clang, fucking another 30%. Eat it. So there's all that leverage that has to come out of the system. There's all that newly deployed capital at quote unquote the bottom that has to come out. So be really, really careful. Understand that underneath it all, if you are a, you know, if you are a company like an Exxon or a Johnson & Johnson, you are generating a consistent amount of cash. And that becomes somewhat of a floor for your multiple eventually, because eventually, you know, much, much, much lower on all names, but all, you know, names that generate consistent cash have to be looked at differently than something like crypto, because crypto doesn't generate a cash isn't a tangible asset and is brand new. I mean, crypto is a digital nothing. I've often said, you know, having a spot on the Bitcoin blockchain is like having your name on the guest list for a club that doesn't exist. You know, hey, I've got our name on the bottle service list tonight and we're waiting in the bottle service line. I've secured my spot in the line right here behind the velvet rope. 
What's the name of the club? Well, there is no club. No club, no DJ, no waitresses, no bar, no tequila. There's nothing there. Well, what are you doing at that point? I don't know. I'm just waiting in line. Well, what are you waiting in line for? I don't know. You know, I'm waiting in line for something to come around and smack me in the face, I guess. And to me, you know, your spot on the blockchain and your ownership of Bitcoin feels a lot like that. If there's one thing that I think people should take from this podcast, it is that, you know, things can get far worse than you think when you think they're at the worst that they can get. Um, and that price doesn't necessarily, and Phil Bach had a good quote about this, but I can't remember what it was. You know, price is, uh, you know, great way for people to get involved and a great motivator, but um, price isn't necessarily the whole story. I did a YouTube video, I think in February of 2021. I don't know, but Bitcoin was uh, at 53,000, I think, and Tesla was at a trillion dollar market cap. And it was called... um, it was called The Anatomy of Bubbles Bursting. And you can go back. It's on my YouTube channel if you want to look at it. Where I talk about exactly that. You know, I talk about price is what you pay and value is what you get. So price is what you pay with Bitcoin. $18,000 of Bitcoin. Value is what you get. What do you get? What do you get? You know, if I pay $171 a share for Johnson & Johnson, what do I get? Well, I get ownership in a company that's been around for 100 years that generates several hundred million dollars a year in free cash, and I'm also entitled to those dividends. It's a name with brand equity. It's well-known. What do you get when you pay $18,000 for a Bitcoin? You're taking $18,000, okay, which is a fucking Kia, and you're putting it somewhere. Then what do you have? Nothing. I got a bunch of ones and zeros on a phone. Well, Chris, currency is already digital because banks move it around. Yeah, well, banks are backed by the Federal Reserve, and the Federal Reserve, supposedly, is backed by at least some gold. So you have the military, you have the fact that it collects tax receipts, you have the government kind of backing the currency. You know, I would rather have that than $18,000 worth of Bitcoin. And I don't want to sound like I'm uh, throwing my ideology out the window... Because in a utopia, in a vacuum, I'm, I embrace the libertarian solution. I want sound money, you know? But Bitcoin isn't sound money. It's not sound, and it's not money. As Schiff says, sound, money, the term, comes from the idea that money used to make a sound when you would drop it. Because it was metal, right? So that's where the term sound money comes from. And by the way, the last thing I'm going to say about fucking Mashinsky, okay... This guy is on this interview in November 2021, and what does he say on the interview? He says, Bitcoin is the gold standard. And I just felt like saying, bitch, why do you think they call it the gold standard? Where does the phrase the gold standard come from? Maybe now he could think about that a little bit more. Uh, And God, I feel bad for the people that invested with him and... uh, Sorry about the audio quality today, but I wanted to do this one on the road because I had a lot of shit on my mind and I wanted to make sure I got it out. But I'll be back in a week or so with more. I got a couple of great guests lined up. I'm so happy to have talked to you. But for right now, folks, I got other things to do. You know, it's not just it's not just you guys I worry about. I got a whole life that I got to take care of. I got things I got to do. You know, I got problems. I got a car that needs a bumper. I'm balding. I have to tend to all these things. Okay. All right, fools. I'm